Hi, Ryan. How you doing? I am going very, 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 very swimmingly. I am feeling very good. How about you? No, that's wrong. No, it's wrong? Oh, we're getting into this fight again. But Rachel, life is life. No, no, it's wrong because you didn't say yummy yum. Yummy yum. You're right. I'm feeling yum yum. I'm sorry. I've let everybody down. Everybody comes to this podcast to hear me say the line, Bart. Say the line. Yum, yum. And then everybody cheers. Yum, yum. Uh, We are, of course, the iconic Yum, Yum podcast, the only Australian Babylon 5 rewatch podcast and the only Australian uh, Star Trek Discovery rewatch podcast that has the title Yum, Yum podcast. Uh, (laughs) Uh, I don't want to claim that we're the only Australian uh, Discovery podcast, because I don't think we are. That Uh, went downhill fast. Like yum yum. So uh, we are here to talk about uh, Babylon 5 in a rewatch capacity, which, what does that mean, Rachel? What does that mean for people who have not seen the show before? You Hmm? shouldn't listen. Get out of here. Because we will be spoiling. Yeah, you're dismissed, (laughs) soldier. Go watch the show. Come back. And then come back to us. Come back. There are other podcasts that don't do spoilers but, for Babylon 5. But they're not here. If We're you want, here. <laughs> if you want company as you do it, come back to us. I really thought if you said Laugh. if you want come, come back to us. Uh, we are the here... But we're not here alone. No. We're not here alone. We have a Dr. Franklin heavy episode, so we have to get our Dr. Franklin and doctor and sci-fi expert. He's here, everybody. Everybody get your hands together to clap. Julio from the Contrarians is back. Yay. Hi, Julio. How are you going? Hello. Hello. How's it going? I did not realize that that's why I was invited back. I thought that you invited me because this was a Garibaldi episode. Yeah, you know, I, it's I both. need some it's Garibaldi. Both. It's both. Okay. Well, 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 we'll get into that. We'll get into that, of course. So tell us a bit about yourself, your your podcast, and what's been uh, your current relationship with uh, Babylon 5? Because for people who haven't listened to the previous episode you're on, Believers, you are currently watching B5 for the first time. So yeah, tell us about yourself, your podcast, and your, where you're at with B5 currently. Uh yeah, I I'm 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 not done with B5 yet, which means that I I stopped listening to the current run of your of your show probably around the time that we did Believers. <laughs> I think you told yeah. me that I needed to watch out cuz spoilers were coming yeah. at me. Uh so I one of my main goals, one of my main uh, one of the carrots at the end of the stick when it comes to Babylon 5 is to know that I can finish the show and then just binge all the episodes of Yum Yum that I haven't I haven't listened to yet. Uh, so I am uh, five or six episodes into season four. So be mindful of what you say mm-hmm. <laughs> if you're going to be talking about well, season four only, or season there's five. There's one big spoiler that uh, for the longtime fans know that we'll have to keep a, a lip buttoned on for this one. Let's just say there's there's one thing that uh, we, we won't discuss while you're here that's a, a biggie. That specific episode? Uh, a specific thing. We'll get... That's, Let's not distract Julio. Julio, keep going on. <laughs> Don't get my hopes up because I, I, I'm hoping that it has to do with Kefir. Of and course. His eventual return. Of course. Uh, yeah, Kefir returns from the dead to say, remember me, guys? Yeah, that's what happens. <laughs> um, so, well, 
I mean, you've had me here uh, once before. And I, uh, but in case that people missed it, I have a podcast of my own. I am uh, part of the Contrarians. Uh, my friend Alex and I talk about movies that are either super fresh or super rotten on Rotten Tomatoes, and we argue against their score. Uh, and we just kind of have fun that way. We we try to be funny about it, and then on the second half of the show, we tell you how we really feel. So we haven't covered that much sci-fi, which is something I realized uh, mm. over the past year, uh, which is not... I, I guess it just hasn't happened, because I, I like the genre a lot, uh, clearly, as I am four seasons into Babylon 5. And, you know, we've talked... Uh, you brought me over for an episode of Discovery as well, so I talked about how... I also like Star Trek, mostly next gen. Uh, so I think I, and, and of course, I think that the main thing that, that has to find our relationship, at least when it comes to sci-fi, Ryan, and, and I guess by osmosis, Rachel, is that uh, you guys absolutely hate uh, the Doctor in Star Trek Discovery. There's and a Doctor in that show? <laughs> I didn't realize. Is he a man of principles? Because uh, there's a big speech in this episode about how uh, uh, Franklin has principles, and that's like a noble, that's like a good character trait. I don't remember uh, a doctor character in Discovery with principles at all. Life is life, whether it's wrapped in skin, scales, or feathers. Now, if you respected these beings instead of constantly trying to murder them, you'd appreciate that. Uh, Julio, I can't remember if this was a rule we instated when you were here last, but we asked the question of who had YYE in this episode, Yum Yum Energy. Who in the episode would have said Yum Yum if this was written by the Star Trek Discovery writers? Do you have a candidate? Oh, absolutely. Dodger. Dodger. Like, she, she pretty much says it. Interesting. <laughs> you can read it in her eyes. It's true. Every time she's, she looks at Garibaldi. She's basically the not. Bold, the bald guy that keeps on picking fights is a contender as well. Wow. I've got a. have got another candidate. Mine is large. Yeah. Large has big YYE. He's got stogies. <laughs> he just did a shit because this thing hit his belly, but he still loved it. He ate too much This is what it. we call a diverse episode. <laughs> Of Babylon 5, because we... There's lots to dig into. It's a good we start. We are talking about Gropos. So, uh, Julio, you have the DVD description for this one. So could you enlighten us all on the episode? Uh, yes. Episode 10 of Season 2, Gropos. Uh, the station is a neutral port of call in the Centauri Narn War. So why has General Franklin, Paul Winfield, bought... Bought, brought 25,000 infantry troops, gropos, or ground pounders, aboard for immediate billeting. Uh, that was a word I learned watching this episode. It's a military billet. show. It teaches you military phrases. There okay. you go. I don't think it's been more military than in this episode, at least up to this point yeah. in the in the series. It's like, oh, yeah, they have an army. <laughs> There's lots of war talk. <laughs> Rachel, tell us your journey with gropos. I adore this episode. Yeah. I love it to bits. Even the conversation that Garibaldi has with Dodger, where I cringe so hard <laughs> that even on this viewing, I plugged my ears and covered my eyes because I'm like, no. Can I ask you a sensitive question? Yeah. Does it make you dry? 
<sighs> I can ask that. I'm a husband. <laughs> <laughs> I'm allowed. Don't write any fucking letters to me saying that I'm not allowed. <laughs> I'm not going to hear it. Don't you send a carrier pigeon here? I'm going to shoot it down and eat it. Mm, speckled Jim. I'm not answering that. So because... that's a yes. <laughs> no, no, no. You've asked me too many questions about my genitalia in the last few episodes, and I'm just I'm just not not gonna reply. Season two's a horny season. It's a horny season. So you were saying you've loved this episode, you've adored yes. this episode. I like it more and more every time I watch it. Like the first time I was like, oh, this is weird and like a little bit offbeat, but it still feels like it belongs in the show. Yeah. And it's an it's a nice different kind of feeling because it's not political in the same way that the other episodes have been in recent times. Yeah. And the way that it gets to explore the characters through them being pushed in a new direction, I really like. Mm. And there's lots of big moments and lots of small moments, and it's so juicy. To follow upon some of the things that you just said there, I agree. I've liked this episode a lot. Um, It's not one of my favourites, but I do like it. Uh, It follows up the big one. The Coming of Shadows, in which the Centauri uh, Nan conflict sparks off finally, and the Emperor visits, and it's a, that's the big one. The season's named after it. So this obviously gets uh, overshadowed by that one's uh, legacy and just general stature, but to touch upon what you said about this feels different, it works because that episode, The Coming of Shadows, is the turning point. We're now changing. And so the follow-up episode it has the elements of Babylon 5 we like, the character stuff, the quiet, intimate moments, the funny moments, uh, but also how our lead group of people have to problem-solve and micromanage and uh, figure out problems but instead of putting it in the usual happy-go-lucky diplomatic sense like season one and early season two, now it's been put through the lens of a war scenario. Yeah. Now we've got all these soldiers on and board. We have to lie to Delenn, the ambassador, uh, yeah. about this. And we have to I lie to the actual soldiers about and do all these things. And how do we Delenn put them here? Like, and- oh, yeah, they're not even going to talk to each other. Like, <laughs> even in the episode, they take a moment to say, no, that's not happening. So <laughs> like, I- that, that, We're not hiding that from you. Nothing with that is going forward. So I, I enjoyed this episode and I enjoyed it on this watch to really note down how this is quietly telling us how the show is transitioning into something different yeah. than where we've been. So that's kind of been my uh, relationship with it. Also, I like Dr. Franklin's stuff in this. I like the guest star performers. Dodger is a memorable character to me. Same with uh, General Franklin. And even even the bold asshole guy is one of those guys. I'm like, oh, yeah, that guy. And, of course, it is one of the ones where I would say... Season two's littered with them as well. You remember the depressing thing in the episode where it's like everybody dies. That's also something that uh, lingers. So, uh, yeah, that's that's where I'm at with this. Julio, tell us about uh, what uh, you've been like with uh, Gropos. And uh, how did you feel when I said, oh, I want you on for this one? Um, I did not remember that was the episode where Franklin's dad comes to visit. 
because to me, and I imagine to most people, just going by Rachel's brief recap, I, I think that most people probably think of this as the episode where Garibaldi absolutely blows it with a girl. <laughs> it, it just cringe is correctly, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's a correct word there. Uh, so when you said Gropos, I was like, oh yeah, that's the one with where Garibaldi overshares. Uh, in a very cringy scene. Um, so I was happy. I was like, oh, that's cool. Because, you know, we did a Franklin episode, a very Franklin-centric episode uh, last time I was here. So, uh, and Garibaldi is one of my favorite characters. So I was I was down. And then I watched it today. And mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, that's right. There's a whole lot more going on. It's just Franklin has a whole side plot. And, uh, uh, the, you know, I mean, you kind of teased me about the fact that we we're going to talk about Kefir. And uh, I couldn't remember how much <laughs> he was part of the episode um yeah, yeah. he gets a couple scenes I mean, he, gets, just, he gets three yeah <laughs> yeah he gets three scenes. one is just he the gets beginning middle and end <laughs> yeah and uh, so i don't think uh i wouldn't put it like in my top 10 episodes i think uh at least not right now um i tend to prefer like if, if i were to make a list of my favorite babylon 5 episodes I think that I would probably go with the ones that uh, hit me harder emotionally. And it's really sad here at the end when you see them, when you see that they die. But it's almost like uh, that was not surprising. I think that I I felt that that was going to come, like, even from the first time I watched it. I I knew that that was clearly, you know, it's like the the equivalent. This episode is equivalent of uh, when you're in a war movie and you have the shot of the the rookie that pulls out the picture of his wife and kid waiting for mm-hmm. him at home, and you're like, okay, mm-hmm. he's not gonna make it. And that's it, all the conversations that these characters, that the Gropos, were having with our our regulars. You could tell that this is, yeah, these are not relationships that are being no. set up to, <laughs> yeah, to go it's forward. Like, oh, in, you're in making, you're making plans so, well, like your yeah. plan is to live yeah. well and that's enough well that's the thing too in all fairness to the episode to give it some credit outside of the the kind of cliched nature of a war movie war story thing like this they also do make it pretty explicit that all of them realize at every single moment even franklin's dad that they could that they're going to die like mm-hmm. this death is a constant thing for a soldier, which is also why it kind of hits all the more because it's it's the episode acknowledges this as well. It's not the typical, oh, I'm one day from retirement. Oh no, like it doesn't cheat you in that manipulative drama sense, but it also still tugs at that as well. But uh, it's interesting to hear from from Julio because I think you're a big Garibaldi fan, which is, I've said this to you privately, but I was surprised, (laughs) and I think you're holding back from saying he's your favorite character, because he's the one you always talk about, and it's so hilarious to me, and I'm curious what you think, Rachel, that, Julio, you take this as, oh, the the Garibaldi episode. To me, it's so clearly the Franklin episode, and the Franklin stuff is, to me, the central thrust of the story here. Him and his dad What do you remember? Remember, though. What's that, sorry? When you, when, you, when you think of Gropos, what do you think of first? I think Franklin of General or... Franklin. <laughs> really? Oh, Yeah, okay. of course. Of course. Maybe because it's also Paul Winfrey. But no, I think of um, I think of the episode where we meet Franklin's dad and he's like drastically different, but also not. 
Uh, and honestly, then I think of the Kefa stuff as, oh, that's the one episode where they actually did something with Kefa. Oh, okay. Then I think about Dodger, and then I think about Garibaldi. That's how I... Um, and then I think about how Sheridan is involved too, by the way. Um, he's in this episode too. He's a good man. <laughs> he has important <laughs> intelligence. Yep, and they don't listen to him. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I mean... I. I- Okay, just just to just set the record straight, Garibaldi is my second favorite. Uh, Ivanova is my favorite, and so that's not uh, that's not me holding back from giving the crown to Garibaldi. It's just that you know Ivanova is, is she she's even cooler than he is. But the, I think that the the thing that I've experienced at least you know four seasons into the show is that um, Garibaldi I like him a lot, but he doesn't get as many interesting subplots as Ivanova does. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I think that I keep bringing Garibaldi to the front. I celebrate every time that he gets <laughs> something cool on the show because it doesn't happen as often as the other characters. Like Grey 17 yeah. is missing. Remember oh that one? Oh, my God. Where he <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> <laughs> Survivors. Survivors, where he got drunk again, Uncle yep. Mike. Yep, exactly. Drunk again, Uncle Mike. This episode kicks off with Ivanova. And she is uh, celebrating the fact that things are actually pretty chill. It's it's the quiet time of night. You that know, she it things are, you know things are chill because she's got her feet up. And yeah. every <laughs> single time Ivanova puts her feet up in CNC, it's the prelude to something bad happening. Oh, the, the last time she, she should did know better by now. I think the last time she did that, the president got assassinated. So. <laughs> I'm just saying, Ivanova, oh. do not put your feet up because bad maybe shit's she, gonna come. Maybe she's secretly hoping that it'll kill Clark somehow. No, no, no. She's she's too naive. She's just chilling out. Corwin has an amazing line of dialogue in response to her where he says basically like time is a meaningless concept and death is inevitable. I'm like, yeah. whoa, whoa, Corwin. What the fuck, dude? And then the episode's like, no, no, we're, Chill moving. Out. we're moving. No, no, it's like, we don't even acknowledge that because General Franklin's here now. And this episode has a breakneck pace. It just keeps going bang, bang, bang through the plots and through the scenarios. So we meet Franklin's dad. And what was it like for you, Rachel, to engage with this plot that first time to find out that Franklin's dad is this man? And how have you felt and how do you feel about the whole Franklin family drama. I, f- I find it really weird because it's just like, oh, I never thought about it. I never thought about the fact that he has a family <laughs> because I'm just like, it's just Franklin. Mm-hmm. And I was never like, oh, I wonder what he grew up like. It's like I w- I didn't feel like that was a gap that I'd noticed. So you didn't even think if he called about called his mum? No, no, I didn't. Uh. But from here on out, I do. I wonder. Yeah, did he call her about the Stims addiction? Mm. Before he went on his walkabout, he said, hey, mum, I'm going on a walkabout. That no, when he came back from the walkabout. Oh, when just he came when back. He yeah, yeah, yeah. After he came back, he was just like, hey, I met myself. And I was a bit of a prick. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so what do you think about, well, what did you think and what do you think about meeting the Franklin family member yeah. that we get, which is his prick father who's like a war guy? He's a general? I'm like, yes. Yes. Because to me, it 
it feels really true that somebody this concrete in their principles is a person who was raised in a very strict environment, mm. but also for against those values and has found his own standing in the world. But that wasn't something that he was supported into. It's something that he fought for and it makes me appreciate the way that the character is written and the way that it he's performed that that desire to fight for what is right mm. is to the core of Franklin. I agree. I love the Franklin family drama, honestly. I uh, love meeting his father. And to me, it was very quick of understanding, oh, yeah, this is where Franklin came from. It didn't need to take the whole episode for me to buy it. Once they actually met each other and had that conversation where they were being slightly friendly and then it quickly devolved into an argument, I've been there. I've seen family members get into that where they love each other and they get on, but they there are certain things that just don't click and eventually mm -hmm. those things will clash. And there was a maturity there to that relationship. And and although you said it like you never thought about Franklin's history before, I did in watching the show because he's talked about it briefly, his past with the war, him being a hitchhiker, and now here he is. And so he has uh, talked about his past before. So I never necessarily thought who's his parents. But when it did come up, it, it added up. It went, oh, okay. Because I've also known people in life who have grown up in very strict households and strict uh, environments as well who break free of that and they go down these paths. And uh, some of them I do know are kind of like Franklin, where, you know, they kind of have had their, you know, bumming around phase and doing all of that, but then they kind of find their avenue mm. and they have those, uh, like Franklin, those very strongly set convictions and principles that they learned from that strict environment, but they're applying it to something that... Yeah is opposing that what the people from that environment like. Like, Franklin's dad is like, cool, you're a doctor, but you should be saving human lives. And uh, Franklin is all about life is life. It doesn't matter if you have scales, skin, or feathers. Uh, it's life. I've, it's my job to save them. So I have always found this to be a fruitful side. And I also think since uh, the Believers episode, the one where you had Julio mm -hmm. on for last this is this was the biggest and juiciest character episode for dr franklin as a character it was very insightful it gave the actor a ton to do mm -hmm. it made me like him more uh over the years because he was for the most part just in episodes as like hello i'm doctor man and i'm here to do yes. doctor things and it was nice to see him get angry again mm. and to have to bite his lip and actually maybe realize that, that he, he has to give something up. He's trying to navigate the situation, being true to himself. Yeah. But also trying to move forward because he recognizes that they can't just keep on butting heads. They're not going to get anywhere. And it's a great parallel 
and uh, showing us how he's furthered since believers in which he did not budge in that right. episode. Here, he's willing to budge. He's will- willing to say, hey, I'm sorry here. In this episode, he's willing to listen to other people. So I've always got a lot out of this one. Uh, Julio, what do you think about the whole uh, franklin side of this? And uh, especially because you saw this episode, I think... Did you see this episode after we had recorded a Believer's discussion? Or before? Yeah, it's possible. Mm. Yeah, mm. that might have been it. Because uh, I'm trying to remember if... Uh, I think you actually watched it before because you finished season two when you came on our show. Had I? I don't remember. Mm. But yeah, I mean, I, I think that I had... Uh, I'm trying to think if I had any more emotional connections with Franklin in between Believers and this one. Because like you, like you just said, there's a lot of Franklin, but there's not a lot of uh, um, big emotional Franklin episodes, I think, in between these two that I can, I can think of. Like the big moments are Believers and then this one. And then... I'm yeah, the, like the, the healing the machine one was in between. Oh, there. the healing machine. Yeah. But that was more about his convictions as like, again, a professional. Like, yeah. I do not like your quackery type of deal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I'll get myself a date. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I. So it, it's funny because I watching it this time, I was... Uh, something that I had forgotten was that the, his dad is not a complete monster. I mean, he's a very... I don't like him, personally. I, I think that the, the moment that he makes it clear that he doesn't care for... The aliens, uh, just like the bigotry of, of his position is just a little too much for me to go like, oh, well, this guy's cool. Uh, but I, I appreciated that the show didn't just double down on that and instead allowed him to still be somebody that somewhat managed to get along with his son. You know, because you could have demonized them a lot more. Yeah, and it, it's just like he has these views and that's a part of the disagreement. Yeah. But it doesn't become about that. No, not necessarily. It becomes about their relationship. Mm-hmm. Because it very easily could have gone for that level of drama about, like, well, like, my dad's a racist. Yeah, it could have been the, <laughs> my daddy's a military racist man. What it became, what it was actually about, there's many things it's about, but a part of it is the fact that mm. you dedicate yourself to a job in which you could die, and we are living in the wake of he could be dead, and that's, like, really tough uh, again. Uh, which yeah. is an, But one of the things that Julio just touched upon is, like, they could have demonized him easily. Mm. One of the little writing tricks I really like that demonstrates how they don't and how they um, will succeed, at least for me in the episode, of showing that General Franklin is willing to change and willing to give up something himself, like his son Mm -hmm. Franklin, is the trying out the alien juice. It's a little touch, but that little touch of him actually trying it it. and liking it. Because his son actually does know his dad. It's It's not the most groundbreaking thing, but it's like, okay, it's a little thing to show you that he is not just the prick father who's just a xenophobe. Like, it gives you a little thing of, you can shake his perspective. He isn't just set in stone, Mm -hmm. and that's a part of why he doesn't feel demonized, because even though we may not like him as a person, 
he feels real. That's the thing. Like, if yes. he was the kumbaya general who's actually like, no, I'm actually cool with aliens, but somehow I'm the most respected <laughs> general in Earth Force, you wouldn't believe that. That's something you wouldn't believe. You would no. like it because it was like, oh, Franklin's dad's nice because Franklin's nice. But no, that's not how it works. I like that, like that little touch. Here you go. Uh, I'm on duty, Stephen. No, 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 no. This is fruit juice. The Morcab call it orcha. You'll like it. Go ahead. No, I like orange juice. Try it. Mm. <laughs> I mean, this is kind of a, 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 I wouldn't call it a trope, but it's it's kind of a, a recognizable archetype, right? The The overachieving son that wants to consciously or subconsciously is trying to impress the the really tough dad and uh so I, I i could see like what kind of story they were going for even from the first time and i was like okay let's see how it plays out and i think that generally the dad is uh either completely unworthy of the efforts of the son which is not the case here because you know, like i said they seem to be trying at least to to connect or or it turns out that the son had it wrong all along which is also not the case here because Franklin is actually, I mean, he has uh, uh, very valid reasons to resent his father. Yeah. So it was it was yeah. nice to see that this, this was just kind of like right there in the middle. Yeah, it, it does uh, something different. One of, one of the things here that is deliberately echoed in this episode and called out is his relationship with his father is a fraught one, but they still do love each other underneath it yeah. all. And that ties back to what happened with the Vonover and her father mm-hmm. in which yes. they missed that opportunity to fix it before, you know, he was dying yeah. and dead. And it was great to have the Avonova here to mm. help Franklin along his journey. Cause that was a thing too about um, believers Sinclair and Franklin were opposed to one mm-hmm. another, and that's why Franklin didn't budge because he they were opposed. In this, Ivanova is on his side, mm. but she still opposes him as a friend. But but like saying, "I've gone through this. Yeah. Do not make the same mistake that I have gone through." And she's it, trying to guide him. Yeah, and it works because he understands and he garners from that that this isn't going to just be a routine cake run thing there's going to be a bigger deal he needs to actually open this up because he does love his father he does try and i love my family as do you rachel and uh, imagine you julia but there are those times in which and there are those family members where you just have the that like strained relationship and sometimes you can fix it up and sometimes you just go i'm not going to bother and that's where they they were at they were in the ivanova stage where we talk occasionally but we're not going to really bother because it's lost. There's that great conversation with... Uh, Just the sh- acceptance of, we'll never be close. Yeah. Like, you're still my son, you're still my dad. Mm. We're not fully estranged, but the relationship is strained. Yeah, and both of them have this mentality that is, maybe this is just the way it is between fathers and sons. Which is why when Sheridan yeah. comes in and talks about his relationship with his father and how it's sim- how it was similar, that pushes that pushes General Franklin to want to do it again. It's kind of cool how they're utilizing 
two of our main characters who aren't central to the episode, Ivanova no, and, and Sheridan, to help like push the ones who are. They discussed it like, ooh, you push him and I'll push him no, no. and then we'll make everybody a happy family. No, 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 no. It does, it's not as like no, that, it, but it is a great way of utilising the, uns- the ensemble. gentle. Like, in the hands of a different writer, that would feel contrived. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I really like the complexities of this father-son relationship because, I don't know, it just, it just, I keep having to say it, it feels real. It feels lived in. That's the thing, too. Like, it's a, it's one of these things where it's like, oh, I, I personally don't have a military father, man, but... I would understand why Franklin reacts to having a military father man the way he does, and I also understand why General Franklin would react to having a son like Franklin the way... Is it fun fact time, then? Yeah, you got a fun fact for me? Do you have a military father man? No, apparently (laughs) Richard Biggs did. Oh, the actor of Franklin? Yeah. That's interesting. um, was... I think a colonel in the Vietnam War. Oh, that's interesting. So that was part of what they drew on for this mm. idea. Um, and apparently Biggs did manage to patch up his relationship with his dad as well. well there you go. That's, that's, that's a cool, cool piece of information. So um, Julio. Now, do you think, because uh, this struck me as I was, as the episode started, is Franklin a last name that's, rare in the future no uh, i wouldn't say because so. sheridan makes a hell of an assumption when this general comes in and he's like oh general franklin we have a franklin here is he your son and i was like that's really well, weird well in all fairness just... there's some other clues yeah <laughs> okay well i don't want to call him context a racist clues. but <laughs> there are context clues no, I think, like he looks I, old I, enough to be his dad. I, I, do, I do think that uh, you're not, wait, you're Sher- not going to call Sheridan it. says like all oh, any relation, yeah, and then the general <laughs> clarifies that it's his son. What, Sheridan not- isn't like your baby. You know what? You're not going to call out. You're not going to call out the general for doing the same to Garibaldi. He's <laughs> <laughs> like, well, I knew an Alfredo Garibaldi. <laughs> hell of a well, hell of a soldier. That one's a little uh, Garibaldi. I think it's a little more unusual than than Franklin. Not if you're Italian. <laughs> <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. Fair enough. No, it's a it's a fair call to make. It's one of those ones where you need yeah. it for the script to happen. Or yeah, else... it's just like we don't like time is not needed on this uh, okay. thing. And real question. Real question. You've now watched enough of the show. Out of all of our characters, who's the one dumb enough to ask that question point blank? It's Sheridan. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then he would have patted, patted him on the back and said, hey, did you bring oranges with you? <laughs> well, orange juice. Did so. you bring juice? Honestly, well, I mean, Zach was not around in season no, two. No, well, technically Zach, Zach was in the show at this point, but he, you know, he only been in one or two episodes. We get, uh, we get our last little bit of Lou. That's the sad yes. news. Everybody, I know. this is the last episode with Lou Welch. Oh, the actor, is it? Officially? The actor did not want to be typecast, and uh, he left the show. Lou, we love you. We miss you. We, we wish we, you were here, but you helped. We, uh, we know that you're loving some cake wherever <sighs> you are, Lou. He gets some stuff in the books, apparently. Lou gets a story in one of the books, but uh, <laughs> he was the proto-Zach Allen. So yes, yes, he was. We, we miss you, Lou. We love you. Uh, we love Lou. We all love Lou. And uh, 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 good night, sweet prince. That's what I'll say. That's what I'll say about Lou. Okay, Garibaldi the Welch. Hey, Lou, how's it going out there? Oh, everything's uh, 
nice and quiet here, Chief. Uh, you know, it looks like uh, everyone's going to bed. I love the way that Sheridan's line, like when he's explaining that, like, you know, killing is a part of a soldier's job. And, mm. like, you can't deny that as part of the job, but we can only live with it and hope that the reasons we're doing it are justified. And that last sentence applies equally to Franklin and his job. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It does? Yeah. It was great. And I just find that really neat. It was interesting, too, that that scene took a little pause to have the writers acknowledge that, hey... Isn't our main character kind of a war criminal? He like yeah. murdered a whole <laughs> ship of people, and the and Minbaris they, might call me uh, one. And Sheridan kind of brushes it off, like, "Oh, well, the Minbaris may call me that, but I, I don't think myself that." And it's like, no, no interesting. <laughs> he wouldn't be able to live with himself if he did. Interesting. Okay, cool. I'm sure he won't commit any more war crimes in the future what do you think <laughs> yeah <laughs> sure he's i think be he boy. he lives up to his reputation uh, <laughs> going forward but i mentioned it the last time i was here on the other franklin episode and I, I think it's worth bringing up again because this is still fairly soon after uh sinclair has left his station so I, as soon as I saw Sheridan interacting with Franklin's father. I'm like, yeah, this is two, these are two military guys. Like, Sheridan yeah. is very, you know, military. And I'm like, how would Sinclair have reacted to this? And I think that he would have, I mean, I'm not saying that he would have rejected any of the things that were happening. I mean, he, he was still going to follow orders, but I think that he would have been less, uh, uh, I don't want to say eager to please than Sheridan, but, you know, like Sheridan was just very much like, all right, yes, sir, whatever you say. And mm-hmm. I think that we would have seen, Sinclair be a little more dissatisfied with the whole thing. Yeah, he wouldn't have fallen in line as neatly. He would have been a lot more tired. (laughs) Of course, of course. (laughs) That's the difference. Sheridan's like, I've had a perfect night's rest. La 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 la. Orange juice, orange juice. And Sheridan's Uh, Sinclair would be like, it's so great that I don't have to. I don't have to pay rent. Ah, yes. (laughs) Yeah, and Sinclair would be like, I'm looking through these loopholes. To figure out what the hell I can do. Michael, yes. you're my best friend. Help me. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think about how this episode represents the military, Julia? Uh, it's a little bit like uh, what we're saying about the the archetype of the, of the son and the father that are at odds because the father's very demanding and the son feels like he needs to prove uh, himself. Kind of like the same thing. I mean, I think that when you when you think of portrayals of the military in the media, this is one of those that you can go to, right? Like the the very uh, 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 disciplined in a way, uh, you know, marine soldiers, what have you. But then they're also rowdy <laughs> on their downtime. Yeah. And, uh, what, uh, if they're on, they're on. If they're off, they're off. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Exactly. And they may be, uh, you know. They might fight each other, but then at the end, they're all a big family. And so, you know, when it's time to get the job done, they're going to get the job done. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it is, uh, a, <laughs> I, I, it, it rang true in the way that it rings true in, you know, this universe. I, I liked that, uh, Garibaldi seemed to have like a pretty good understanding of, of what they were getting into when, mm. 
when all these troops arrived and took over uh, Babylon 5. Because he was a crown uh, pounder in the Minbari War himself, Garibaldi. Mm-hmm. So it makes so, sense. So he was like, I know I know what to expect. Like In, in, in classic Garibaldi fashion, it was like, it doesn't matter what we do. It's going to be a mess. Yep. <laughs> cynical, cynical Garibaldi. Yeah. Um, I like how unflattering, yet also, like is in ways like for instance so what i mean is has a lot of manner of fact or like matter of fact it's bu- it has a, to it. it has a as most you know people do it has a kind of uh warmth and 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 kind of appreciation for the troops themselves the not, men not on the, the ground the boots but the higher ups and the general reasonings for why these boots on the ground have to do the things they do it has a cynicism and disdain for the fact that the, like all of these people die for this planet and for this race that yeah. we know nothing about. Like they're insignificant because Earth wants to have a foothold mm-hmm. because in the future they may need it for a war that they, they may get dragged even, into. They know that they're gonna have to get involved at some stage. They don't know which side they're gonna be on. And you know, as just but- a general civilian myself there is that complexity of it's like oh well you know respect the troops you know they're people they're doing the hard thing they're out there but also it's like i don't like the military i don't want to be a part of it i don't like the fact that the u.s put their troops and they do these insidious things here 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 because they're playing this 4d chess in which we may need to do this (laughs) over here and this over here and that's what this is (laughs) yeah there is that level of uh of like Honesty and uh, it's un- uh, honesty and an unflattering look. Like mm. there's this thing too where it's like, oh, we always worry that you're gonna die, Dad. But it's like, why? He's the general who gets to sit at the back and then come in and get on the news and say like, yeah, we did a great job. Yeah, uh, and that's why I really <laughs> like this episode of it humanizes. Before I forget, Ryan. Before mm. I forget, because that's a, that made me laugh so hard when he's at the end. Uh, Gerald Franklin's at the end of the interview, and then some guy comes over and you know whispers something in his ear, and then he just goes, "I gotta go. I'm needed <laughs> elsewhere. I'm needed elsewhere." Yeah. And I think it's the same. It's the it's the uh, sergeant uh, intendant. Yeah, the drill sergeanty guy the who's d- always yelling at them for yeah, and he causing just has fights. A bandage over yeah, his head. He everyone we meet outside of General Franklin in the Gropos gets injured or killed. Yes, that's the thing too. Like Franklin's dad's the only one who's fine. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? Um, but that's what I mean. Like, it's this unflattering, but also kind of like, yeah, like, we're going to yeah. humanize the Gropos themselves. We're going to show that there are shitty ones. We're going to uh-huh. show that there are seasoned ones who are good and nice people. They know what they are. They know what they're going to do. We're going to have mm-hmm. Dodger give us this really harrowing look into, like, I don't have time mm-hmm. for love. These no. are going to be these humanizing things. But when push comes to shove, you look at it and it's like all these people who had mm-hmm. hopes, dreams, desires, personhood, they all got massacred for what? For what? Yeah. It's, because it's... Earth has an agenda, they want to do these things, and even uh, Sheridan is opposed. Mm-hmm. The fact that Sheridan is opposed to this in the first place, like he doesn't think it's worth doing this. Yeah, and he continues to advise further, against it. Further hammering in this kind of agenda that, the, that, that Babylon 5 has of like, look, the military is good, but to a certain point, you have to question like but, the legitimacy of militarization and putting you, you know, all of hmm. these things forward like this. Also, specifically, Sheridan's statement about, I don't trust organizations, I trust people. Mm. And we get to see that and feel that in this episode. Yeah. Because we trust Dodger. 
And we trust Dodger's gut when she says, I have a bad feeling about this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not just because we know that shit's going to go down, but because we're like, you got this. Yeah, she's got uh, wisdom that we've come to expect and understand in the episode, so we buy it. Uh, and another thing that I uh, really like too is, I think it was an amazing touch to show us all the dead bodies and show us that the war, the battles, the violence, it doesn't discriminate. It's going to take the young guy who's fresh off the boat. It's going to take the old experienced one. It's going to take Dodger. It's even going to take the prick asshole bold guy. Like, mm-hmm. the killing doesn't discriminate. It doesn't care that these were good people or these were bad people or these were new. These were- doesn't matter. They're dead. And what was it all for? So that Franklin's dad can stand in front of the the smoldering wreckage and go, yeah, we did a good job. And he's the only one that's fine. I'm here with General Richard Franklin, commander of the 356th. General, can you tell us the results of the battle? Our troops have gained control over the fortress at Matak. Most of the leaders of the rebellion have either been killed or captured, and we expect the complete surrender of all the rebel forces very shortly. The thing that jumped at me when I was watching the episode this time is that, in a way, the show kind of proves General Franklin right uh, about militarizing Babylon 5 a little bit. Because when he says that, oh, we're going to upgrade your weapons and you, you know, you're going to be able to just fight a, a destroyer and everything and Sheridan and Vanova are like, oh, well, you know, this is supposed to be a, a nice place. place. We're not supposed to be... Mm. Right. And, and Delenn the- echoes that as well. Yeah. Right. But but knowing what happens in subsequent seasons, it's kind of a good thing that they had. It's very you know. handy. But that's Yes, exactly. But that's the thing. Like, because of the strongly held attitudes that characters like General Franklin have, Londo, Jakar, the Earth government have, it is the reason it is a part of the reason why the Babylon project fails. Yeah. Duh, 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 because peace was never <laughs> peace was peace was never an option. And you wish that it could be because How long were you planning that line? I wasn't. I wasn't. But like it reminds you of like remember the good old days of season 1 where Sinclair had that optimism that we could do it? Yeah. We're and showing it was like people all the different religions in the planet. Yeah, but like that's the thing too of you're right. The show proves that Franklin's dad was right, but how does that make you feel? Does that make you feel good? Oh no, it's a bummer. But uh, but but that's the thing. Like, it's not that Franklin's right. Uh, Franklin's dad is right because of something he ends up doing. Uh, it, you know, it's like the the shadows were going to attack the, whether Franklin's dad did anything or not. You know what I mean? Like, it's yeah. not that. Oh. It was a self-fulfilling prophecy. It was like, oh, we're going to need these weapons, and then I'm going to go create the situation that makes us need them. It was like, no, Earth was going to be attacked, and Babylon 5 was going to be attacked no matter what. So, yeah, it, it kind of sucks that the show is set in a world where, whoa, like ours. Exactly. <laughs> you just can't avoid the conflict. Yeah. And so, so he is not even – so there is – a. Uh, a grim wisdom, I think, to to his thinking anyway, to, to Franklin's, Gerald Franklin's thinking of like knowing, you know, knowing the world that they live in, in a way probably better, mm. or, or looking at it through more realistic lenses than Ivanova and Sheridan and Garibaldi. Yeah, but even then, Ivanova, Sheridan and Garibaldi 
also understand that, but they just wish that it wasn't the case. Yeah. They can voice right. their concerns, but at the end, they hmm. salute and obey because that this is how it is. This is how it's got to be. Yes. And they're all there watching the TV, hoping that the Earth people won a war that they should mm-hmm. not be a part of. Again, it makes me think of the real world. Sadly, we don't live in the Star Trek utopia world. We live in the nightmare world. We live in the like Babylon 5's nightmare world. Is it a little bit too close to home, huh? Yeah, it's it's not nice. No, no, it isn't nice. It's not nice. One of the fun trivia facts that I have, one of the things mm. I noted down, when I say fun, it's also depressing, is... um. The alien juice that uh, Franklin Dad tries is uh, of is a Markab juice, who are the alien race that uh, gets killed by that plague later in this season. Oh so, no! Mm-hmm. It's set up throughout the series. Yeah. Oh, there's Markabs. Yeah. They're mentioned a lot, and it's like, oh no! <laughs> On a rewatch value, I look at that and go, oh no! I like it. Those guys are gonna all die. They're all gonna die. And there's their juice that Franklin likes, but they're all gonna be dead <laughs> in like ten episodes. So we always keep bringing Julio on for the fun episodes in which people die Always. brutally. <laughs> characters characters are left at the end of the episode with this oh. real harrowed, sad expression on their face. Yeah. But hey, Garibaldi almost got laid. Hmm? That's a he little bit happier. He gets to make out a lot. He gets to make out a lot. Hmm? How do you feel about that, Julio? Uh, it was It was pretty... Pretty awkward to watch. Not the making out, but just like where it, what it led to. Uh... <laughs> well, do you want to talk to us? Hey, they ab- made out after that as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That they, was, they that was reconnected, just like a final. and the and the, uh, the drill sergeant guy he gave uh, he gave him the nod. He gave him a like. Yes. It was a nod of <laughs> you did it. Yeah, but now yeah. fuck off. But then, but then after he fucked off, he gave, he gave himself a little chuckle, like that was funny. Yep, <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Again, a humanizing moment for yeah. a character you could describe as a non-character. I don't know yeah. anything about that guy other than he has like a weird name. Um, he's like <laughs> Sergeant, like like Budge or something weird. But um, Julio, talk to us about the Garibaldi side of this, since uh, this is the thing that's lingered with you. Tell us about uh, what's going on here and uh, what do you think about it? I like how smooth he is before they become romantically involved, him and Dodger. You know what I mean? Like his his first interaction with her. Because he's not trying to hook up with her, so he's, he's just being pretty. Yeah, he's pretty laid back. He's he doesn't even show a hint of the baggage that he's carrying. <laughs> he's just you know making making jokes and being just pretty pretty smooth overall. And then it's just, I think that if I was younger, I wouldn't believe how badly he botches it. But did you buy having, the chemistry between them? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. No, I I, I bought it. Like I I, I was uh, very. That's his ex girlfriend. Really? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Jerry Doyle used oh, to date man. her. Andrea Thompson, who plays Talia, must have been super proud because um, she was becoming his ex wife at the time. No, wow. no, no. <laughs> Ninety five was when they got married. Ninety seven is when they got divorced. Oh fuck! So yeah. it was his girlfriend at the time. 
and they unknowingly hired his ex-girlfriend to play Dodger. And in the original script, (laughs) they slept together. He didn't botch it. Oh, (laughs) no. JMS changed it. No. It was meant to be that Ivanova knocked on his door to wake him up and he opens the door in Duck Dodger's boxes. No. (laughs) This change. You know what's so funny? I mean this sincerely. This is all according to like information from like the ec- extras and okay, uh, le- I like didn't know this. The, the extra information and like the uh, cast interviews and what stuff oh. like this. This is where this information. This is coming changes from. everything because I was actually going to say this is not written by JMS primarily. No. This is written by Larry Dettilio. But what I was going to say, was Larry I- Dettilio hated that that was changed. Yeah, I can understand. What I was going to say was. Julio was mentioning like younger, you know, you would feel like this is really weird. I did when I was like a teenager. I was like, eh, come on, Garibaldi, get your dick wet, you pussy. Like, what's wrong with you? You missed Mr. Stork Talia in the tubes and look at her ass. What are you, a fucking coward? And But now as an adult who's like a wiser and understands life a bit more, I nodded this like, going. Oh yeah, mm, you you, is... you you got into your head too much. Yeah, and and you couldn't get out. Hearing that's a JMS written thing, it all adds up because <laughs> he writes that a lot, like like Marcus being a virgin mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And it's yeah. just like, oh okay, this all adds up. Mm-hmm. This all makes sense as a JMS thing. But I actually really like this scene, Rachel. It makes you cringe, uh, Julio. I imagine it makes you cringe. You've already kind of mentioned that. I just but, not but not in a going... bad way. Yeah, not in a bad mean, way. But like, it does. Make I, you I like it. I'm glad. I'm for, for just for what it's worth. I like the rewrite. I like that they don't sleep together because I think it's it's more memorable that that he has that meltdown and he then she blows the up at him. And, yeah, yeah, he misses it. I really like it because it's a it's a vulnerable moment for Garibaldi, who is a vulnerable character a lot. But like, I haven't really liked uh, up until this point the way the show has written his vulnerabilities. Like the drunk again, Uncle Mike, I found was a sloppy episode. While this, I went, I get it. You know, I get where you're coming from, Garibaldi. And I also find it uh, good to see in a piece of media now unlike when I was a teenage boy, to have a guy actually put on the brakes and say, hey, we're going too fast here. You know, I want to actually think things through, not just thinking with his dick, which is also greatly appreciated after having watched that episode where Dr. Franklin was a creep to that woman who just woke up from cryo sleep and he wanted the fucker. <laughs> it's greatly appreciated to have this kind of maturity here. But... Yes. Uh, yeah, it's uh, I don't well, know. But the, the, what the part that's cringy is that the oversharing, you know. But but I get it. You know, there are times where you it doesn't even have to be a romantic situation. There are times where you just start talking and you just can't stop yourself because poor Dodger didn't need to know about the girl from Mars. Didn't need to know about the fact that he got shot in the back. I mean, or Talia. That was just Talia. Yeah, it's just way too much details. You know, you could just say. I, I can't. I have too much going on. And then she would just go, Oh, I get it. You know, but he he piles it onto the point where, you know, she ends up being exasperated and her blow up is perfectly understandable. I his makes me cringe and hers just makes me go, Oh <laughs> I wish it worked out. Yeah. Should gone look you... for Franklin, because clearly Franklin has no problem hooking up with people. Look, there was this woman on Mars, Lise. We've been a couple and uh 
I did something stupid and uh, blew it. And next thing I know, she's married to somebody else and she's having a baby. Man, it, it, it hit me hard. I, uh, then I met this other lady, how the kind, uh, the kind of guy like me doesn't stand a chance with. And uh, on New Year's Eve, I got shot. I almost died because I wasn't watching my back. Watch your back. <laughs> He's oversharing as you say but it also you buy it because that's Garibaldi he's a blood yeah. mouth and he kind of once he gets worked up emotionally he mm. just pours it out all over the place that's his he can't form. stop himself yeah and-, and we see that in cringy moments like this and serious moments sweet moments Sweet moments and funny moments, antagonistic moments. I mean, fasten then zip, zip then fasten. Exactly, and uh, you, uh, um, Julio's just started up season four, and Garibaldi's like that currently in an antagonistic mm-hmm. sense, in which he can't help mm-hmm. but want to share mm-hmm. what's in his head all yeah. the time, and it's a it's a good thing and a bad thing. And when it happens here, you just buy it. Mm-hmm. If it was another character, you like. If this was a Vonover, I wouldn't buy it. No. Right? And so it's just like, okay, cool. Garibaldi, you buy it on a narrative sense. But I think yeah. what saves it is uh, the Dodger reaction to it. One, the mm. acting from her is fantastic. Oh, if you just watch wonderful. the scene on mute and just watch her reaction when it mm-hmm. starts, she, like, she crosses her arms, she's like looking around. <sighs> she, she's so done. She's like, she oh, I just wanted it. to get fucked and move on. She sells the, what's happening right now? Oh God! Oh fuck. oh fuck this! And the anger and the like, the fact that she feels like she's being lectured to—that's another thing I really like. There's this indignant rage within her of like, "What did you think this was, man? Mm-hmm. Like, I wasn't here to have a relationship. What the fuck, are you idiot! You're like, you're lecturing to me, and mm-hmm. like now you're going to be condescending and pity me. Fuck you." Um, she's got this justifiable rage within the moment, but again, like a lot of the characters, she cools down, they come to uh, understanding, and they patch things up. And I really love the phrase that she uses of, like, sometimes I just want things too much. Yeah, I I found it really harrowing when she is talking about, like, when I'm not up to my hip in blood and worrying about dying and whatever, like, yeah. this is all I can have because mm-hmm. this is all I have time for. Like, she doesn't yeah. have time for romance and love and connections because that's not the life she lives. No. This is all she has, and that's good enough. And the Gropo life is what she's chosen to do. Yeah. She's stuck it out. But to give the actress even more credit as well, she really brings the life to the character, especially when she gives the kiss at the end and the little moments like the nice butt moment and everything mm. like that, where she doesn't just feel like the, uh, w- like we see in these war movies and soldier movies, the token butch, uh, emotionless uh, soldier lady. Like she still has her femininity and her charm and her humor. Uh, like I wouldn't define Dodger as just the military lady in that one episode. No. You know, like she gets to be more. Yeah, like again to tie back to Garibaldi, survivors, Major Kemmer, the the woman who hated Garibaldi because of an incident in her past. That's how I describe her: military mm-hmm. lady who mm-hmm. was bitchy mm-hmm. lady with no. Dodger has more layers to her than that. She has more nuances. That's the thing about what I really like about Gropos is all the characters, even fucking Warren Keffer, 
They don't need all <laughs> the scenes in the episode to give nuances, layers, and arcs and developments. Mm. Yeah. They're all given enough in which I'm satisfied when I finish the episode and it reaches its sad yeah. conclusion. And it doesn't work for lots of people. Like, lots of people don't like this episode. Mm. And plenty don't like it as much as we do. Yeah. But it really works for us. Yeah, 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 yeah. It is uh, one of those that just kind of hits the right chord uh, with uh, with me. There, this is in the period of the show in which there was more writers. It wasn't just JMS. Uh, Julio, you're in season four. Season mm-hmm. three onwards, it's just JMS who writes the show. He just writes every single episode. Uh, and so there's more of a consistency there of voice and everything. Here, this is written by Larry Dottilio, who's one of the other primary writers. And I got to say, like, he, this is probably my favorite script of his thus far. And uh, And apparently it is also his favorite that he did for B5. Because I was going to say, this one really feels like it's a, a JMS script because of the tonal juggling acts. Because when you watch a Babylon 5 episode, especially in the height of season three, season four, it can have major tonal shifts that in other shows, in other scripts, Mm. in other writers' hands, would drastically fail or be very jarring. Like, you can go from an extremely sad moment to an extremely funny moment in one episode, and JMS is really good at that. But i got to say, like, Larry, he really picked up his game in this one. Like, I found Mm -hmm. the tonal (laughs) shifts of this to be... uh, to be quite exciting, actually. Skillfully done. What do you think about that, uh, Julio? You're watching B5. What do you think about how it does the tonal juggling acts in episodes and in episodes like this? Yeah, well, I think it's definitely, it's something that you as a viewer, we were talking about Londo. I don't remember if we had already started recording or not, but uh, I think that Londo is a good example because I had trouble, I think, getting used to how broad uh, Londo was at first. Uh but it's not like he ever stopped being broad, but it's more that, one, I got used to the character and how he was. And also, I think the show got better at integrating his his personality with everything else that was happening at the station. And and I think that that applies on a macro level to just all the other big elements and, and also the tonal shifts. And the comedy can be really broad sometimes, and then you get really serious moments. I think it's telling, though, that in this episode, we don't have... Londo, we don't have Jakar, we don't have Veer. Uh, it's it's weird when they think that there's too much, the people that say that there's too much going on in this episode, it's actually, I think this is very focused because it's just all in the service of the of the Gropos. There's not any other subplots going on. and So in that sense, I think this one's actually even more controlled than, than your standard Babylon 5 uh, uh, episode. And going forward, yeah, I, I I know watching an episode unless it's something that's super dark. I know that there's gotta be a couple of moments where I'm just gonna laugh. Mm-hmm. And, uh, a lot of people and- seem to not like the moment with Delenn. I like it because it just lets you know that people from Earth really don't appreciate that she's like a no. weird hybrid. Yeah, and that's gonna be important. Bari don't have hair. Yeah, that was great. Um, Speaking as a man, I did who think though have that. Hair. <laughs> She probably could have. I don't think she needed rescuing, but we didn't get to see the scene play out because Dodger stepped in. But yeah, Lania wasn't there to do kung fu. 
So I've right. seen her fight. Even the, I mean, like, she's Dylan went through Temple as well. So that means that she should have some moves Dude, she herself. Just, she just learned how to brush her hair. Give her a break. <laughs> yeah, okay. Okay. That's, people... that's the that's a good rationalization. She's she's not used to this body. <laughs> Is there something you want? What are you? I am a Minbari. Now please let me pass. Minbari, huh? <laughs> Minbari don't have hair. This is human hair. Let's go! We got him here. Kef's here. <laughs> Kef is here. Everybody. He actually Kef does up. something! Kef is here. Julio's favorite character. You lied. Your favorite character is actually Kefa. Huh? Uh, well, there's I not did... even a competition. I mean, he's <laughs> he's not even in the rankings because he's just no. outside of everything. Yeah, he's, yeah. Got, he's god tier. You're right. Yeah, yeah. He's, yes. he's, oh. he's above the tier list. <laughs> in terms of YYE, maybe. But... No, no. Um, Julio, he's here, Kefa. Tell us about what it was like watching the series, seeing Kefa in there. What was your, what was your thing with Kef? Uh, well, we had that that conversation uh, on Twitter at some point where I it came up that you know he was a new character. He's like in, he's in the credits, and uh, usually you expect that there's a purpose to a new character being added, like like Marcus. Marcus is added in the third season. He becomes part of the opening credits, and you. You can see why. I mean, he's a recurring character. He shows up. He has stories that are about him. He serves a purpose in the narrative and all that. And uh, with Kefir, that's not are really what happens. Doesn't? He... You're saying Kefir doesn't? Are you saying Kefir doesn't have a character? What? Doesn't have arcs? He helps find the shadow ships. That's he his, does. That's his... I mean, eventually. That's he worth has of, a purpose. That's worth being in the opening credits. <laughs> he kind of falls backwards into a purpose at the very end of the season. <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh, wait, we can use him for that. Yeah. No, yeah. He's about to be thrown but, out, but we can but use I think, him for this. I, I think by the time I watch this episode, though, I, I, I think by the time I watch this episode, I already talked to you, Ryan, about the character and you had told me that it was just somebody that had been created mainly to placate like a mandate from above and not something that JMS wanted to do. So, mm-hmm. it, it yeah, at some point I kind of gave up on the idea of uh, waiting to see what was going to happen with this character and just took it as like, all right, well, he's there because they had to put him there. And uh, when when this episode happened, I remember just watching it through the same lens, which is that it's not... You know, he's there, I guess, to add like a dash of color because you need like to have a pilot that you focus on, I guess. But uh, yeah, I I don't remember taking anything that was happening with him seriously. And so when he gets the... the, He's an air boy. He's an air boy. (laughs) Yeah, air boy. He he gets his big moment at the end. I mean, not big, but, you know, he gets a shot where he he looks at the the iPad, whatever it is, the, the handyman. Mm. He realizes that that his friends are dead. Uh, yeah, I mean that's pretty cool. It lingers that's, on yeah. him. He's the last one there. Yeah, yeah. Like Garibaldi passes it, passes the grief over to him, and that was good. I mean that that was his character actually served the purpose because uh, it goes even beyond. Oh well, Garibaldi had a connection with this one girl, but then uh, Kefir. I mean, he's more of a for all his flaws and his lack of purpose and all that, he is more of a ground level character than 
all the other people in the cast. So it's one thing, I think, to see, oh, Garibaldi's girlfriend died versus seeing, oh, <laughs> all these guys that were hanging out, all the other regular Joes that were hanging out with the regular Joe of Babylon 5, they're all dead as well. So, yeah, I I, I like what they did with him. Hmm. I like Kefir in the episode. Yeah, I think, I think it's his best moment. It's his best episode. It's the only episode where you could almost see why he would be a character if the creators wanted him to be one. It makes no sense that he gets two roomies because he's a squadron commander. Yeah, he should get three. <laughs> um, <laughs> you're right. You're right. No, but I seriously mean it. I think the actor does a great job here. I actually like the characterization of Kefa being like this uh, kind of stick-in-the-mud snooty guy who yeah. has to warm up and get out of that shell and then mm-hmm. he becomes, like, one of the crew. And I really appreciate the bar fight scene in which he tries to be a nice guy. He's like, hey, I apologize, but if that's not enough, I'll fucking fight you. And I'm like, and then oh, okay. Oh, the fact that he's, he, like a big... he's so pleased with himself and then gets hit over the back <laughs> yeah. of the head. But here's the thing. And Lad just looks like, oh, fuck no. Because... He was honourable. That's yes. the thing about Kepa. He's honourable. He And you know how he got taken out by that fight? By a dishonourable Gropo mm-hmm. who hit him in the back of the head with a bottle, which is a dog act. That's, mm-hmm. you know, that's a dog act. And that yeah. guy got punched the fuck out by mm-hmm. large. But I actually really appreciated <laughs> the Kepa's performance scarf here. gets loose. He gets loose and frayed. But no, I actually really <laughs> liked the performance here. And I like yeah. the idea of what his character could have been that was presented here. Because he's been presented with no character up until now. He's just guy mm-hmm. who is there. Here, he is given a wrinkle of a character, which is better than nothing, but of, uh, he was kind of comedic. I found him a little bit charming at points, and I also like the, uh, he, the three of them. You have the most experienced, you have the one who's new, and then Kefir, even though he's not a ground pounder, he's in between. He's had some experience <laughs> in fights and stuff, but he hasn't had the large, he hasn't had largest experience level, no. but, uh, so it felt like when he was slotted in in that group, he felt welcomed there because it was the progression level of the guy who's never had any, the one who's had some, and the one who's had the most. Yes. And so he worked on that front, but mm-hmm. also, yeah, like like we were talking about, he's a ground level character. I don't think I could imagine any of our other human characters. No being given this storyline realistically. I don't imagine a Vonova having this. Oh, it would make zero or, fucking or, or, sense if a Vonova or got Sher- Or Sheridan, right? And Zack doesn't exist yet uh, properly as a character. And, I don't know, and it wouldn't make sense for Lou. No, Lou's too cool. He's too busy being a guard. <laughs> but like... <laughs> they might eat his cake. That's not acceptable. He's a bro. He's like, yeah, Garibaldi, I'll let you off duty to go fuck. <laughs> yep. Wingman. <laughs> wink, wink. He's a he's a bro. Wingman Supreme. He follows the bro code. Mm-hmm. That's Lou's Law. <laughs> Lou's Law. Bro code edition. Uh Rachel, what about you? The Kef dog, you knew that he was this unnecessary blight. Were I you surprised did. that he actually got given something to do? Because this is the first episode where he's given something. I was. And it still didn't feel like much on the first. Um <laughs> it's three scenes. It's yeah, it's 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 not it's not a lot. It's not enough to redeem Kefir for me. Um but but like on subsequent watches, it's like even though it is a tiny drop 
in the desert. I appreciate it more kind of each time because I'm like, oh, it was something. It doesn't feel like a complete and utter waste of fucking time and money. Yeah. But it's not great. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, But Rachel, you have a shocking revelation. You told me this before we recorded and I staggered back because I've never heard this before. No. But it makes so much sense. What is the information you've found out about the Kefir side of this story? This is another little tidbit that is apparently in the Echoes of Highlights, Mm. which is I got interviews and notes from various crew members. Apparently... Larry volunteered to use Kefir. Yeah, Larry Dottilio, the writer, he volunteered. He was like, I want to do it. I want want to give Kefir something. Because that was Larry's role. He was like, I'll do Talia stories Mm because no one's doing it. I'll do a Vonova. I'll do a Vonova story. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'll do a Walker Smith story. Yeah. (laughs) I bring a (laughs) Vonova into this episode. Um, But apparently they were not impressed by the actor. Yeah. And. Because he kind of he he didn't bring it enough. They that was even more of a reason that they were like, "Nah, we're not going to bother with this again." So they whittled him down in the script. Mm. They're just like, I'm, "We weren't impressed with Kefa, so we just kind of whittled him down in this episode where I was going to try with him." And mm. it, it makes sense. So mm. it feels like there's a scene or two missing of Kef, and maybe there was, maybe there wasn't. But there's this oh. sense of. No one yeah. was impressed with this actor. I wasn't unimpressed. I was just no. like, this guy has nothing to work with. In this episode, I actually thought he was good. Uh, I didn't mind him, but yeah, evidently but he, they did a- not think he was good enough. Apparently, he didn't prove he didn't prove his worth. You're always scared. That's part of the job. But you're gonna do okay. That's right, man's right. Like old Buffy used to say, in a grapple who ain't scared is either dead or stupid. Are we ready for the spotlight section of the show? Are we ready to touch that? Are we ready to flick the switch and talk about an actor that was in the episode? I'm ready. Are you ready, Julio? I I am. I I did my homework earlier. Ooh. I'm ready. Julio sat down and wrote, who was Paul Winfield in Wrath of Khan? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. the only black character? Oh, okay. <laughs> so do we want to talk histories or performance first? I think performance is a good place to start. We've already kind of touched upon his performance, but Julio, what did you think of uh, Paul Winfield in this? And uh, when you watched it, did you recognize? Did you go, oh, that, oh, hey, it's uh, Paul Winfield? No. Oh, no. Uh, and uh, it, it wasn't until I looked at his filmography that I went like, oh, the Terminator guy. Okay, now I know what. But uh, no, I like him. I He has an awesome voice. I think that that's the, the main thing that stands out uh, when I see Franklin's dad. It's just that he, the way that he talks. Uh, Would it I don't remember to learn that James Earl Jones was their first pick for this role? Oh, I could. He could pull it off. Oh absolutely. my god! <laughs> Isn't that how his career was? <laughs> <laughs> like we could we could get Paul Winfield or James Earl Jones. There's That's another there's there's a James Earl Jones related fact that I have to share later. Fair enough. So you were saying, Julio, you love his voice. He does have a very distinguished voice, you know, very mannered speaking voice. I don't I don't remember feeling that way 
about him in Terminator, though. Like, I remember liking him in Terminator, but I remember the voice standing out. And here it, it did. Uh, so that was, that was cool. I think he's, he's really good. He, he plays the, the tough soldier, uh, character really well. And he, when the few moments that he gets to be vulnerable, he's, he's on point. So yeah, I really liked him. And, uh, yeah. And then I looked through his filmography and I've seen several movies that he's been in, but the one that I remember where I can tell you exactly like who he is and you know, what he did is Terminator. Yeah. No, that's not true. And there's another one, but I'll, I'll bring it up later. Mars Attacks. Yeah. 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 Yes, Mars Attacks, exactly. Yeah. That's he's what a, I think of him as. We'll get to Mars Attacks. But I uh, <laughs> I think of Wrath of Khan. Well, uh, Darmok and Jalad, we'll just say that. But uh, no, I I love his performance here. I For me, what's distinguishable about him is his eyes. He has these very distinct kind of piercing, mm-hmm. kind of a little bit buggy out See, eyes. I got and that's what I always by... notice him as an actor. Like when he's in prosthetic makeup, when mm-hmm. he's wearing something, like I always can tell him through his eyes and also his voice. He does have a very... I got distracted by the glasses and the way that they mm-hmm. were like... Well, I've seen magnifying him. his eyes. Well, I've in also that seen him in Ross. Well, in, in both Terminator and Mars Attacks, he wears glasses. I'm also used to him wearing glasses as well. Yeah. So that wasn't a distraction for me. But I love his performance here. He really sells you that he's a hard ass military guy who can just bark an order at you like that. Uh, I feel like it was unneeded the little riding crop that he was carrying around. <laughs> I don't think they needed to give him that touch. I think he, as an actor, was good enough yeah. with his. Uh, what I've noticed too, we recently watched Terminator, Rachel and I, we just watched mm-hmm. it. And um, in that movie and in this episode, Paul Winfield, you give him glasses, he's going to play with those. Mm. He's just going to use those <laughs> to do things and like clean them and point with them and fiddle with them. That's his character mainly in Terminator 2 is he has three props. Glasses, a cup of coffee, and cigarettes. <laughs> That's what you need for Paul Winfield, and he's good to go. In this, he had glasses. So he was using those motherfuckers like a bad boy, and he was mm-hmm. just ping-ponging around. But I found him very... uh Yeah, I believed him as a father figure as well as a general. Mm. I really like his energy. I've always thought that he was one of the standout guest stars in season two because mm. he also... We talked about this recently. You can tell he's a movie star. Mm. There's something about his caliber of performance and his yeah. and his presence where you go, this guy just isn't a TV guy. He's no. more than a TV guy. He did guy. a mix of movies, TV, voice acting, and some TV films as well. Yeah. So what about you, uh, Rachel? What do you think of uh, General Franklin? Because he also has to sell us that he is related to Franklin. Yeah. That's also something we have to appreciate. I never question it. No. It like that that's how the performance works for me. I never questioned that this is his dad and that they have this kind of relationship. I'm like, yeah, you're this kind of dude and you are a bit of a dickhead. And <laughs> so is but, your, so is your are, son. You are mostly right. Just like your son. Just like your son. Like the uh <laughs> Such for genetics line that he has. <laughs> I love that he absolutely ripped Garibaldi a new one for no reason. No, it's because Garibaldi he was being insolent. Yeah, mm-hmm. Garibaldi being insolent as they walked in, and it, it, the generals looks like I'm not fucking having that. Well, I like how he played it too, where he said in a very nonchalant, casual manner, but with also this uh, authority. Mm. Oh, that's an interesting point of view. 
when uh, he's like, Earth government, yeah. crazy. Oh, that's an interesting point of view, which is not something you want to hear. No. After having talk smack. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> oh, fuck, I got caught. And I love- You must have that all the time as a teacher. I love Ivanova's reaction <laughs> of- Oh, she like, laughs. She, she laughs and then she's just like, oh, I, I can't. Sh- I'm going to be a soldier lady. I've got to keep it together. I shouldn't be funny. This so funny. Yeah. But you just know that she's like kind of laughing in her head as the scene continues, which is great. I want to also praise that um, we talk about General Franklin as like, you know, this assholeish figure, but Paul Winfield can really turn on the warmth and, 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 and the, and the, uh, levity moments too like when, when he's he talking about his family oh yeah there's so much warmth and love that comes through paul winfield's smile and laugh is very infectious in the episode we only see it minorly but when it does happen you're like oh yeah this guy's a, a guy he's not just the uniform he's not just the uh, he's the brass that's come in to swing his yeah. dick over the place like he's a guy he's, he's, he's chuckling not ari and, benzane he's not ari benzane the greatest character with a scar in his eye <laughs> um no 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 but uh he's a legend he mm-hmm. was a legend unfortunately mm-hmm. paul winfield's no longer with us uh he passed away i can't remember when he passed away but he passed away mm-hmm. a little while back now mm-hmm. um, in the 2000s i think um but he's an acting legend he was in terminator the big one. He was in lots of iconic things and B-grade things. Mm-hmm. He did a whole plethora. Terminator, of course, he was one of the policemen, one of the detectives in that with uh, Lance Henriksen. He was paired with him. So you may, Julio, not remember his voice as distinctly because he was paired with Lance, who has a very deep, booming, raspy voice of his own. Mm-hmm. So that may be why. We recently watched it. Trust me, if you rewatch Terminator... Paul Winfield's voice owns the scenes. <laughs> but um, I guess the difference is in Terminator, he's far more relaxed. Like his whole entire character yeah. is like he's he's basically like Columbo, like a bit of a mm. a bit of a weirdo, a bit of a slob, a bit of like oblivious to what's going on. But when you turn on the cop mode, he can do it. Mm-hmm. Um like yeah, he's a bit of a, a like he's a bit of a shambling guy in that movie, which is really good. Uh Mars Attacks. Can we? Can Julio and I just talk about Mars Attacks? Go ahead. <laughs> I can contribute to this conversation, I, but if you want to leave me out of it, you're fine. out. Sorry, you're outside. Get 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 Bye. out. Bye, Rachel. I grew up with Mars Attacks. It was one of my favorite movies when I was five years old. Um, I love Mars Attacks. It's probably one of my favorite Tim Burton movies. Not saying it's the best, but it's one of my favorites. And mm-hmm. Paul Winfield was always one of my favorites because I found him very very funny with because his character is like the military general who thinks that everything's going to be okay but he's just such a like pig-headed oblivious guy and he gets murdered so well and there's the great like everybody else in the like movie. everybody he's the first that gets murdered and he um has the great moment where they shoot the dove in front of him and it's not a warning sign enough for him. And he's like, oh, well, we could work this out. <laughs> it's like no doves and all of this. And I always found him mm. to be a very amusing. There's this one bit, and Julio, you may remember this, where he's on the phone. Like he's on the big military phone to like, I think his wife. And he's talking about like, things are going to work out really well for me. Like things are going Does he great. say, I, t- I told you if I just kept my head down, stay quiet, <laughs> things were going to go well. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, it's really good because they have in, in they have him in contrast with the other military guy, which Rod is Rod Steiger. Steiger. Yeah, who's, who's Rod awesome. Steiger is just yeah. Rod Steiger is more like uh, like Franklin's father. Yeah, you know, he's, he's just, just insane, like, loud, military, and mean. And, yeah, 
and, in and that. right in that movie he was right every step of the way <laughs> yes. his character was we fucking gotta right. nuke him we gotta nuke him now <laughs> <laughs> we gotta go to defcon 6 or whatever like now <laughs> we're gonna warn the other countries they never listened to rod steiger it's upsetting but uh, yeah, Julio. What about you? You looked over his uh his catalog of work. What were some notable pieces? And, and if you want to touch upon Mars Attacks a little bit more, so yourself. Well, uh, Mars Attacks. Once I saw him on the, once I saw it on his filmography, I'm like instantly. I'm like, oh, it's of course the the the, the soldier, the military guy that that is. Uh, I mean, you know, because I just saw him as a military guy, so instantly made the connection. The other one, and but it's not until after you told me. Uh, because, you know, I just saw, oh, he's on an episode of uh, Star Trek Next Generation. And I just saw the name, but I didn't recognize the name. So I didn't, like, click on it. If I had and I had seen what episode it was, then I would have known exactly who he was, which, you know, I did after uh, you told me. And, yeah, he's uh, he's the, the main alien guy in, uh, you know, the episode where Picard has to figure out how to uh, how to speak a new language that's made up of... Uh, metaphors. Uh, Metaphors. Yeah, he's in the famous Darmok and Jalad episode, and uh, yeah, I'm glad that uh, I pointed that out to you because I was like, "Oh, he's in Wrath of Khan." You love Wrath of Khan. You always talk about how that's like well, one of your favorite Star Trek movies. You're like Wrath of Khan. I'm like, you remember him Wrath of Khan, right? And you were like, he dies quickly. You're like, I don't remember him in Wrath of Khan. I know he's in it, but I don't remember him. I'm like, how could you forget he's the guy that gets the worm in the ear? Mm-hmm. Oh, Chekhov. Yeah, with Chekhov. The year as well. But he's the one that kills himself. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, fuck this. The fun Star Trek trivia fact there is uh, Paul Winfield is the first black Starfleet captain we met mm-hmm. in Star Trek. Uh, not saying, like, you know, lead character, but, like, in the universe, like, in the show, we had met other higher-ranking um, people of color in Starfleet, but he was the first starship captain, yeah. I do believe, we met in Star Trek who was black. So that was interesting. He uh, then dies, so that was uh, another interesting moment for him. Uh, a part of his uh, legacy, it's in his mm-hmm. uh, trademark, trademarks, I do believe, Paul Winfield was infamous for always dying in movies and shows. He would always die. The Terminator. Sean Bean of his time. Yeah, the Sean Bean. He was the black guy who died in everything. That's a part of his legacy uh, is he was unfortunately in a way a f- one of the people who furthered the trope of the token black guy who would die in things, which is unfortunate, but it is what his career was. So when he survived in this episode, it's a, it's a neat little subversion of expectations if you know the actor. Yeah. It's like when Sean Bean doesn't die in something. You're like, oh, subversion of expectations. <laughs> oh, cool. You made it to the end. Wow. Mm-hmm. And that kind of is a part of his legacy. He did a lot of B-movies. A lot of, like Terminator dies. Mars Attacks dies. Star Trek, both of them, dies. dies. Yeah, he goes on and on. And uh, his cousin, to go back to Star Trek, his cousin, whose uh, name I'm forgetting off the top of my head, he was in Star Trek, the original series, as the as the Dr. Daystrom, who invented a supercomputer. Mm-hmm. And Daystrom is a character name that will linger for the rest of Star Trek. as Daystrom the, Institute. He has an institute named after him in Star Trek. And he was in that. And uh, his cousin, the same actor, was uh, also in the... Uh, B-movie scene, he was infamously he was Blackula uh, in the Blackula films so that's a fun little piece Ah. of trivia for you, where uh, Paul Winfield and his cousin were just they got work where they could, but it seemed like they were were just 
shifted into genre work a lot of the time, into black exploitation, sci-fi, horror, that type of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so some fun credits. So um, his first credit was in Perry Mason in 1965. So he was mm. 26 um, when around that time. Uh, so a bit of a later start, but not as late as some of the other spotlight actors. Yeah. Um, some interesting voice credits. I think he was in like the Wild Thornberries. Oh man, I would love to hear him in the Wild Thornberries. I wonder who. Uh, but the one that I picked out was that he was in five of these what appear to be director video or DVD kids films. Kids Ten Commandments. Yeah, I'm looking at it now. He loves these Ten Commandment movies, huh? Interesting. Yeah, and oh wow, he's steady work. Yeah. <laughs> uh he was doing a lot of those towards the end. I think the last credit was like two thousand and three, and I'm pretty sure he died shortly after. Yep, two thousand four. Um A Hero Ain't Nothing But a Sandwich is mm. a film that he's in. He was in The Simpsons at some point as yeah. well. So that makes sense. Yeah, again, he's he did a, a, a huge catalogue of work. We could just keep listing it. Like, he's in a lot of things. Uh, uh, yeah, he's got 127 credits yeah. on IMDb. Yeah, he was uh, Homer's uh, boxing manager guy who was based off of, uh, I'm forgetting the guy's name. I know if, if your co-host Alex was here, he would be fuming at me. <laughs> Not, I, I don't know. He's more into wrestling than boxing, so uh, he, he no. Man, he follows. Yeah. He follows boxing. He'll be he really angry yeah. at me, going, "No, no, you don't know who it is. It's this guy." And I'm sitting here going, "Tough shit. You're not here. If you're into sci-fi, Alex, you could tell me off, but you're not. So tough <laughs> shit." I would like to get a bit more biographical with him because I found a bunch of really interesting things. Yes, I think. Can I touch upon the first piece uh, of trivia? No, because I have a different one that I... Okay, interesting. Um, so I found that like he had a really interesting viewpoint when it came to being a black actor. Mm-hmm. And so he tried to uh, avoid particular sorts of roles. Mm. Um, and this is part of a quote that he said like about like he doesn't want to be in movies like this of like the the black hero in such films is no man at all he is a thing a sex object and a sexist he is without tenderness without feelings and far worse without humanity interesting and he was a big civil rights campaigner and he's also has this amazing quote and I love this idea that he used his acting career to help further the civil rights movement. Yeah. Because like- he said, I, I saw then I could do a hell of a lot more for blacks by being a black artist rather than a black activist. Yeah. Yeah, there's many people like that. Sidney Poitier, another great example of a similar idea as Sydney well. Sidney Poitier got Winfield his first credited movie role huh. in The Lost uh. Man. One of the things we should note is, I did not know this, but uh, Paul Winfield was an Oscar-nominated actor. 
He was the third black actor nominated for an Oscar in 1972, and that was after Sidney Poitier and James Earl Jones. <laughs> Damn that, James Earl Jones. I told you it would come back crayon. James Earl Jones. Yeah, uh, Paul Winfield also. I don't know if you did too much research into who he was as a person, Julio, but uh, he was also um, he was also uh, gay in real life. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which was an interesting fact to learn. So he, I didn't um, think about it. He discovered that he was gay kind of later in life because he'd started acting and he got into a relationship with one of the female leads in, I think it was a movie mm. that he was in and they were in a relationship for a little while and fizzled out for one reason or another. And then he had a couple of flings and then he ended up with his partner who he stayed with for 30 years. Yeah. And that was uh, Charles Gillian Jr., who was an architect mainly, but he was also a set designer. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. And it's all, he's a very interesting figure, like with a, the rabbi and TKO, Theodore Bakel, legends of their field with a wealth of stories of their of who they were as people. There's just layers to these people that, you know, with, with actors like him that we get to have the benefit of looking at and discussing and kind of giving us a finer appreciation that, that Babylon 5 was able to get some of these legends yeah. on the show. And it makes it interesting as well that his first role was in Perry Mason, which was led by a closeted gay man as well. And he's not only was in Perry Mason with, uh, I think it's Raymond Burr, Yeah, he mm-hmm. was also in Ironside, which was led by Raymond Burr as well. They just they just couldn't separate, huh? Was James Earl Jones in Perry Mason at any point? <laughs> we got to find that out. Um, one of the final things we got to mention. Now, we just, I've heard this over the years. Yes. But I wanted to get some clarification on this. And I now Julio, this may shock you. But uh Jerry Doyle, your favorite, Michael Garibaldi, he did not like Paul Winfield, and nor did Richard oh. Biggs, the actor <laughs> of Franklin. Yeah. They did not get on with Paul Winfield. It seems like the production for this mm-hmm. episode was a nightmare because Paul Winfield, from what we've gathered and garnered from interviews and from comments online. Paul Winfield did not give a shit and did not learn his lines and was reading off cue cards. Oh, man, he pulled a Brando. He pulled a a Brando had a fucking little microphone in his ear telling him how to act. And then sometimes it would pick up fucking radio waves from other places and he would just read those because he was he, like Brando actively did not care. Yeah. This was like 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 I don't know what went wrong here, but what do you think about that? Uh about that, Julio, of the guy that we've been praising, the guy we've just went over his entire career, and he's like this big legend and he's like this acting, you know, prowess, and he was in great things like Terminator, and we all think he's really good in here. Was he was just phoning it in. Like he did not bother. Like he didn't he was sleepwalking this and he didn't give a shit. What do you think? That's a bummer. Yeah. It, I mean, I don't think uh I, I, I am a hundred percent on the side of uh Jerry Doyle and uh Richard Biggs and anybody else who was bothered by it because it is you know it's unprofessional i think it's obviously he was talented enough that we can't tell and 
that's good for the production. But on the human side, I just don't. I, that's a shame to learn that. <laughs> no, it is. I find it very upsetting as well. But also, as somebody who looks at actors in shows and movies and stuff, yeah. it makes me really question things because I I couldn't tell. I've never noticed. I've always just thought he gave a really good performance. So to find out for a like for what we've been led to believe facts from the cast that worked on that episode. Mm. He wasn't. He didn't give a shit. He was phoning, like he was reading off cue cards. The, the typical things of an actor who doesn't care, not trying, and would usually lead to a bad performance. You brought up Brando. You know, at the end of Brando's career, he just, oh, end, for a good portion of his career, he just didn't give mm-hmm. a fuck and just kind of gave bad performances for a majority of his career, sadly, because he just didn't give a shit. Paul Winfield, he, you know, he, this was still around Mars Attacks time. You know, like, he was still given good performance. He gave a good performance here, but it's just so funny to to us, at least. And mm. I, I'd imagine for you, Julio, you look at, you analyze media. You must get an eye for when an actor is giving a bad performance or not. And it's just so funny that the, the typical thing that would let you know that an actor gives a bad performance of they literally didn't learn their lines. It does make some of the shots make a bit more sense because there's a lot of straight on mm. shots. Of him in this episode. Every soldier lives with death, son. But I suppose sometimes we forget that our loved ones must live with it too. But believe me, I never tried to shut you out. Maybe that's just the way it is between fathers and sons. Or maybe just us. What do you rate Gropos? Yum being bad, yum yum being good. Yum yum. Yum yum. It's a yum yum all the way. Yum yum. All the way. I've got to close it out with a yum yum as well. Yum yum. Uh, So that is it for Gropos, but we are still going to be talking, rewatching, and looking at Babylon 5. We've got our episode that will be the next one. Uh, so I'm going to tell us all what the DVD description has for us for the next episode of Babylon 5. On the next Babylon 5. Episode 11, All Alone in the Night. Sheridan is abducted by aliens, probed and forced into gladiator-like matches. Delenn also faces a difficult mission. Her efforts to be a link to understanding humans makes her an outcast among the Minbari. Big episode. Big episode. Big Sheridan episode. Sheridan gets to roll around and do some Kirk stuff. (laughs) Um, And he meets our good friend Talon, the Narn with the sword. Mm -hmm. Uh This is the episode where uh, a lot happens. Hey, hey, Naroon comes back. Naroon's back. Hmm? Guess who's back? Back, back, back. back, back it's Naroon. He's Naroon. He's back, baby. So that it, that is it, people. We're done. We're dusted. We're out of here. We're on the road. We're on the road out. Julio, could you tell us all where people can find you and your podcast? If if you want to hear my co-host and I pound some ground and uh, run Tomatoes Farm, uh, just look up The Contrarians on any podcatcher, or you can go to our website, wearethecontrarians.com. Um, are the the Babylon Five movies? Do they have a uh, tomato meter? Rating? I would imagine the TV movies. That's... So I don't know how that works. Because we did the Doctor Who movie uh, mm. 
couple months ago. And it was just, you know, it, it requires some bending of the rules, but we did it because uh, a friend wanted us to do it. So, so you want to have we might eventually Alex for just... the Gathering? <laughs> but see, no, because I, well, I don't know what the other ones are like. The other uh, ones are uh, like, do you want to watch the, sh- have you watched the show? <laughs> but so the one thing about the Gathering would be that he can go in yeah. completely, you know, New. not knowing anything. Because it's the fine. Right, but do the other ones require him to? Uh, yeah, because it's like, do you that? know who? Do you know what a soul hunter is? Yeah, you should know. Yeah, here's a movie about They're soul hunters. They're further into the chronology. Well, they were made in it. season five, so yeah. yeah, it kind of is like you know Babylon Five by now. That's why you're watching a Babylon Five TV movie. <laughs> it's not like Doctor <laughs> Who where they were trying to revamp the franchise. No. That's the right, difference. That's the yeah. thing. And even that, the Doctor, Doctor Who, Who movies, like still... the Doctor Who movies, like, hey, Doctor Who fans, fuck you. Bye. <laughs> We're going oh, to America yeah. now. Paul. Paul does oh, a good you. job. He's a human now, or whatever the fuck they said. Oh, boy. Don't get me he started. Kisses a girl. Yeah, kisses uh, a girl. Fuck off. He's a steampunk TARDIS because that's cool. Shut <laughs> up. Anyway, hey. I was saying because we might it, we might do Babylon 5, a Babylon 5 movie just for fun, uh, but I will have to finish the show first. Yeah. Sylvester McCoy in that library is perfect. Yeah, but uh, yeah, you, you people can find your show on the internet. Uh, what's your what's your social medias? At? Uh, on Twitter, find us at, at Contrarian Prime. Uh, same thing on Instagram at Contrarian Prime. If for some reason you want to check our Facebook page, uh, it's uh, Facebook.com/slash Contrarian Prime. Why wouldn't I We're want there. to check it out? You upload videos only on there. So. I know, I know, but it's just like where well, we can see your faces and see Alex <laughs> and uh, his uh, wrestling paraphernalia. So, <laughs> yes, why wouldn't we want to go to the Facebook, everyone's favorite social media platform, next to MySpace? See, that's that's the thing. I don't know that Facebook is anybody's favorite uh, social. But media I can platform. Facebook time people, Facetime boomers, boomers. Hmm? You're <laughs> neglecting the boomers. Yeah. Who aren't we all I mean, neglecting the boomers? Oh, maybe that's why they're so angry on Facebook. Yeah. <laughs> uh we are on the social media platforms of people's choice, Yum Yum Pod or Yum Yum Podcast, always posting things on there, interactions, further things. Mm-hmm. Come follow us. All of this, including Julio stuff, will be in the description of this episode you can email us at yumyumpod at gmail.com if you have some thing you want to send over some questions some queries concerns anything you're wanting to do uh you know fish in the mail go on just not any just not any letters about me asking my wife (laughs) if she's dry okay i'm allowed that's what the ring is for (laughs) Don't wear your wedding ring. Right? Okay, I'm not allowed. I'm gonna put on the ring and then I'm allowed. But uh, how about I throw you mine? No, no, no. Oh no, I got the ring. Now I can ask so, Rachel. Rachel, you dry? <laughs> he didn't catch it, so you can't ask. I've got it on now. My precious, my precious. You didn't even put it on the red finger. My wing, my ring, my my ring finger is bigger than yours. Why would I do that? <laughs> you immediately slid it on. Like, Bil- like Bilbo. It's my ring. 
<laughs> so, uh, yeah, we have our Patreon in which you can support us on there. We make bonus extra content. We are going through the X-Men feature films, including the uh, Deadpool movies and uh, everybody's favorite, the Wolverine movies. Uh, and so we're working our way through those. Yes. It's been a fun time. We're now in the era of our new you know, Michael yes. Fassbender X-Men movies. The Wolverine is the next one that we will be recording. Uh, yeah, so you can check us out, support us there, all in the description. Julio, a pleasure to have you here. As we've mentioned, Jukar did not show up here. He was too busy. He was too busy fucking Londo's wife, probably. <laughs> Ex-wife now. Ex-wife now. Uh, Marielle. Uh, and uh, he was too busy testing pleasure thresholds to say it, but we'll say it to you and to the uh, yumblings listening out there. Good eating to you. Good eating to you.